You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everyone, this is Ryan Young from Almost Diplomatic. And joining me this evening is Robert Thomas, Lex Cardone, and we're recording on September 3rd, 2019. So welcome back, guys. It feels like it's been a bit, but I think it's only been like two weeks, maybe, maybe more. I don't know. I don't really keep track of those things. Been a busy summer. It has. Time flies. Yeah. Lots and lots have happened. <laughs> yeah. All kinds of things. Lots of news things. Um, we're not doing a news thing today. We're going to be doing, basically, we're going to you know, discuss the question. What is an oligarch? Um, Big ideas. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a lot of th- like very theoretical stuff. We'll see. I don't know. Either just be really intelligent, or really stupid, and funny. So either way, it'll be great. Um, theoretical topic, but real world application today. Yeah, uh, go over that a little bit more in a minute. As per usual, we'll go over our beers. What are we drinking today, Ryan? Um, so I went to Stone Brewing. Uh, or, I didn't go to Stone Brewing. I went to Total Wine, and they had nothing basically again. So they had Stone Brewing, which I do like, and I've had this. And we're having the Stone Brewing Ruination Double IPA. And it's unfiltered. It's unfiltered. It I guess that's why there's a bunch of shit at the bottom of the glass. Yeah. Uh, I, if we die, it's all Ryan's fault. Yeah, there's. we're not drinking kombucha, right? Because it kind of looks like kombucha. I Hashtag know. hipster Lex. <laughs> it's a, yeah, unfiltered yeah. Double, double IPA, 8.5%. All right, well, it tastes okay. You I mean, say that until you get to the yeast chunks. <laughs> of yeah, I don't, yeah. it's like, I've never Until the live culture it. hits you. It's all, oh, yeah, it's all kinds of junk in there. Yeah. Well, could hey, be it's... bits of uh, hops and grain shells and all kinds of things. Anthrax. We love our microorganisms here, so. And our macroorganisms. Now there's protein in my beer. Mm, given how visible so. some of that is. Less so, but sure. <laughs> all right. What do we rate this one, guys? Uh, I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's not as heavy as I was expecting. Like it's pre, it's like, it's a pretty crisp kind of for a double IPA that's over eight percent. Like it's, it's not too bad. I will it's, rate it a four and a half tentatively until we see whether I choke on any of the debris at the bottom of the <laughs> yeah. bottle. It's just, yeah. it's just a surprise. You know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a feature. I'll put that in my will. If I expire within 24 hours, um, <laughs> just knock off a star. Okay. But yeah, I, I'd give it a four. All right, I'll do a... Ryan is in deep thought. <laughs> no, I'm just it rarely to... happens. <laughs> You're not wrong. But often when it comes to beer, so... I also was trying to move it to 4.25. <laughs> And it was not cooperating. Oh, it actually does that? Yeah. Oh, wow. So precise. Good going, beer app. And. All right, cool. We had, I unlocked another badge. Middle of the road, level two. That <laughs> has layers of meaning we could unpack. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. There's, the implications. There's, like, I I paid my rent for the first time in my apartment this past month. And they, um, they have, it's like a competitive program about, like, who can earn points by paying their rent or uh or ordering a maintenance request or like replying to a survey and it's like you get a big 
colorful badge and it's like thank you and there's like a leaderboard and everything and i'm like this is just i thought he's so ridiculous i thought, I, I, thought I thought it used to be an embassy not a fucking daycare no it's it's like <laughs> hey guys we're gonna have some fun and like compete against your neighbors i'm like i don't want to know or i don't want to know i don't want to talk to my neighbors first of all i don't want to know their names and like compete with them in some fake contest for like a ten dollar gift card every month yeah it should be more real about like, like hunger game style yeah you get like half off room for like two yeah. months <laughs> it's like you get it <laughs> if you don't earn enough badges in enough time you get evicted <laughs> go fuck yourself oh, fight to the death in the courtyard mm-hmm. anyway Any- so the oligarchs the oligarchs that control my building are having, <laughs> having, having a great time with their puppet strings yeah. yes oh yes yeah uh, but you know, i think you know it's good we're gonna go i think more complex than this uh little bit but i think we're gonna start off the kind of give people a basis and, and kind of open up the conversation so you know oligarchs today when, when what what country or region <laughs> in the world do you think of when you say you hear, hear the word oligarch the the best podcast transition in history in the history of podcasts right here yeah um yeah in modern context when you think of oligarchs you think of russia you think of the former soviet union and um this is something that a lot as people have spilled a lot of ink about you know, the post-1991 um, oligarchical system that's existed in not just Russia, but a lot of these former Soviet countries. And in a sense, it's not really a new phenomenon because this is partially an ex- a continuation of the old Soviet system where it, you had a different form of oligarchy. You had, you know, your par- your regional party bosses and, and apercheeks and people who... I bet, I bet they had gold stars for their apartments. <laughs> they had plenty of vodka and caviar. <laughs> And, <laughs> you but, are extra comrade today. Yeah. And and you, I mean, you have people like Alexander Lovchenko in um, Belarus, who he's an old party man, and now he's the political boss and has been since Belarus's independence. You have a lot of people in um, the Central Asian countries that are like that. Most of the stands are like that. But essentially, when, what we're talking about when we talk about Rush, uh, oligarchs in the Russian context is the people who kind of took over these industries, public, which were... In a, in a communist state, they were publicly, um, they were run by the state, you know, oil, gas, um, you, you, you any, know, basic any, utilities, heavy, heavy machinery, manufacturing. Um, so you had kind of a wild scramble for, for um, you know, resources that existed after this, after this very centralized state collapsed. One well, part of the reason why something like that was able to happen was you had such a jarring transition from the Soviet command economy to, to a, a privatization scheme that allowed people who weren't really elites before in many mm-hmm. cases to gobble up stuff at bargain bin prices oh, and pennies on the dollar or yeah. And then, and then grow incredibly wealthy as things started to stabilize. Yeah, they called it Yeltsin referred to it as shock therapy. And um, it eventually as you know, not trans- just him. Yeah. That's yeah. a, that's no, a term. A lot tra- of people that's, use that's that what, approach yeah, of privatization. Basically putting the brakes on, 70 plus years of centralization yeah, bye, and, bye. and opening it up to opening up maybe like a fifth to a tenth of the world's population up to the free market the global free market yeah in my transition you mean like they kind of turn a life light switch on and off yeah it's they, kind of like they, they blew they were... on the n64 cartridge a couple <laughs> yeah. times and put it back in and that's yeah. how they started the game <laughs> they restarted the game yeah so and now i mean and one of the things that um really more so than you know we talk about vladimir putin himself and how he's built his reputation as this kind of 
um, you know, state security type guy who comes Big along and then becomes a strongman. But one of his, his real domestic claim to fame and what why a lot of people support him and continue to have supported and continue to support him to this day is because he reigned in that kind of almost warlordism without the private armies you, you know russian society was fractured completely along these lines of these powerful oligarchs and you had you know extensive mafia involvement which you still have yeah but he kind of what what putin did is kind of reined everybody in he cracked some skulls made some oligarchs run for cover or or die, or allegedly assassinate themselves. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a doctor here. Wait, but... uh, uh, hey, listen. <laughs> fell down a yeah, fell set down... Of stairs onto a pile of yeah. bullets. Strangest <laughs> thing. Fell down an elevator shaft. In their, in their place, a new um, set of oligarchs arose, and these oligarchs well, partially are new. Partially new. Yeah, they've been around, but in the old sense, or in going back to ancient Greece, the oligarchies like these people um, owed their success or, or, or their more more accurately their continued success to the connection that their industries had with with the state apparatus and uphold it so they had um skin in the game so to speak and that's what and, and in supporting the current system supporting the government and that's what you see today in these you know guys like roman abramovich the owner of chelsea or Gennady timchenko who's runs um gazprom i think it is what yeah. the big the biggest yeah, yeah. state-owned gas firm and so these guys have a direct stake in the current regime and form kind of a um, amorphous clique that essentially, I mean, runs the country. Let's let's not, you know, yeah, I, I th- split hairs about it. Yeah, I think, good. Well, I was just going to say, one of the, the interesting things to unpack in the Russian situation in particular is the idea of an oligarchy in a in a broader sense before we even get to any of the deeper history or theories behind the term is of the small set of people who who rule some sort of system but in the russian case they're sort of one elite power group whereas there are others including those more built into the government and security yeah. apparatuses which are who are also these elite cliques. And so you have some level of mutual uh, interaction between different groups of yeah. elites, no one of which has necessarily held all of the cards for a long period of it's time. Like, yeah. And you see the, you mentioned the security apparatus, the Sivlaki, which are kind of people who, who have fought, who have either worked with Putin in the past or followed that kind of state intelligence service, you know, yeah. se- security, apparatus and now run you know the ministry of defense or or any of these other organizations so yeah you one of the ways he's kept power is by balancing these various interests of these various groups but and they're one of the ones who've kind of come up in the last five ten years yeah i mean it's like he you know giving these funds to his friends like what is like one of his like personal chef yeah. like artist friend who has like worth billions yeah who just happened to work with him back in the day yeah <laughs> and, he's like, just like oh yeah, yeah. Total yeah. coincidence. Yeah, and you're like oligarchy is kind of a catch-all term. I mean, you have a lot of different kinds of those, right? We have aristocracies, which are these small subset that runs things, just happen to be elite, um, you know, aristocratic families. You have, um, I'll, I'll, yeah, it's it's a huge uh, term that we're discussing, and it encompasses a lot of different kinds of. I mean, you can talk about, you know, the Silicon Valley tech oligarchy that runs 
basically all the technology in this country. So it's yeah. I mean, there there are plenty of cases yeah, where people, startup people would use the, the term to refer to parts of American society or many others. So it's yeah. it's I think worth unpacking what is an oligarch, what is oligarchy, where did all this stuff come from? Because it's it's not a new concept or set of terms that we yeah. just came up with in the 90s to refer to stuff happening right. in is the it, former Soviet yeah. Union. Yeah, and it, it kind of seems you, you can describe a lot of things as it. You can describe it as um, as simple as, you know, wealthy people who have an outsized influence in policymaking, which kind of has always existed in various forms, not only in this country, but it, everywhere. I think, in like, and I think in the modern context, usually what it refers to, especially in the Russian context, was you know, it's rich people who got rich in the '90s because of everything that happened. Yeah, but it, and not just rich, like obscenely. Yeah, rich. Like, like it's not like okay, overnight. I'm, do, I'm doing well, yeah. you know. I got you know, I got two yeah. houses, you know, that's cool. It's like no, I own billions, and like yeah. and then like, I just we all flee to London and turning into London grad. <laughs> Um, well, I guess most of the people that Putin chased out are like, oh, I want to do better business in, out of London, or yeah. I want my kids to go to better school. Yeah, I, I can escape to London. Yeah. 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 So Podium it, tea. It's just, I mean, what... Oops. And, you know, oligarchy, it has a pretty negative connotation, but you can also describe, like, technocrats as oligarchs, right? Yeah, I mean, not you may not argue... There can be an argument made. It may not be a very good argument, but, you know, people who are experts in their field and maybe should have a better say or more of a say in than and and you know that allows people to focus on their own daily lives and their own jobs well so that i mean that raises a i think a useful question to dig into here which is whoever you ask historically who's had a a meaningful definition of oligarchy it involves a small group of people controlling an institution of some kind so what constitutes a small group of people i mean mm -hmm. there's definitely some some relativity to that because yeah. a small group of people for a country of a couple hundred million or billion people is different than what a small group of people for a town would be but i mean i i think there's there's some judgment involved there but usually you talk about a, a technocratic class in a given society, even if they have a lot of administrative authority over their own little topics, that's still pretty diffuse power. Yeah. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's a fairly large number of people who are no one of them or, or handful of them has the ability to collude and coordinate to secure their own interests as tightly as what people usually think of as an oligarchy. No yeah. collusion. <laughs> yeah, but people, I mean, people think that, you know, oh, it's, it's, you know, to castigate the technocratic class in some societies is, oh, they'll, even as simple as voting for your own interests, which, ever, which everyone does, you know, those in a sort of more influential space than the rest of society are going to continue to vote for that. So it, it, it I'm, I'm not saying it's like a bulletproof argument because it's definitely not. But the idea that, um, you know, that's kind of fueled a lot of the populist movements that we've seen today is that there's like a kind of a nebulous yeah. uh, group of whether no matter how, I mean, it may be small, it may be a little bigger, it may be just the, the you know, the coastal elites that have um, become this kind of oligarchy. And there's, there's not coastal, yeah. it's coast, east coast. 
Um, uh, that in terms of how it's often used in an American, I, I'm no, saying no, it, I know in an American I, context. No, yeah, I know. Like, I'm just being a East Coast uh, elitist because I'm better than everyone. Maryland. <laughs> um, he says that just because ah. no one in Silicon Valley has bought out him in the podcast yeah. yet. Oh, they will. Yeah, give it two weeks. <laughs> and they, give, they will, and then I don't worry about give it a, for a Give while. it a few months of a bull market, and they will buy out all your dingy crab shacks on the Chesapeake. Don't you worry. <laughs> Why would you say such things? <laughs> I, I think I have I per- Yeah. Have, what have I, how have I wronged you personally, Lex? Jesus. I mean, in a lot just, of ways, but like... It's not the I, point. Let us count the way. Yes, no, okay, no. but um, but actually, retreating back to I'll, what... I'll tell my oligarch buddies, too. <laughs> <laughs> what you know. Um, but, uh... No, so, what Rob was saying, kind of, you know, the number thing doesn't really matter, because a lot of people would speak... Like, like, people have called apartheid in South Africa was an oligarchy, but, you know, that's a widespread thing. It's like, you know, a minority... Yes, a minority in that country has control, but is that... Oligarchy is just minority. Is that some other screwed up government system? And also keeping. I mean, a lot. One of the reasons, or one of the more popular ways that the keeping on that theme of you know race based division and this and that. One of the more popular ways that the kind of neo Confederate movement has sort of explained away the inconvenient truth of slavery is. Oh, it was just those coastal elites. You know the big planters and the plantation owners that were running things. You know most most people who served in the Confederate Army didn't own slaves, like th- that kind of thing. Even though the whole system was based around it's like the importation. Yeah, you're so, not necessarily wrong, but it's like you still are. Yeah, yeah. So it's well, it misses the the, the whole point. Was that point, true? which yeah. is which is that even if you want to to excuse someone who's like a a conscript and doesn't have any stake in it. That's different from saying that the system that conscripted them yeah. is is somehow excused right. because the it's deflection. The, the it's, Confederate it's, government was controlled by the exact same elites who were right. benefiting from slavery. So you can't and even, justify one while excusing the other. Yeah. Like they they go hand well, the in whole, hand. Well, yeah, and even the people those the conscript from the Western Mountains was still benefiting from a system that you know was was run by yeah. Well, in many so. cases, not. I mean, they weren't not directly, getting any any, but... any economic or personal benefit out of it. In many ways, it it held them down economically. That was mm-hmm. one of the deep ironies yeah. of the whole economic system was that you, if you use coercion to have a ready supply of labor, that locks in a lot of social privileges. But what they were able to accomplish, I, I mean, the southern slaveholders were to sort of direct that kind of anger and that sort of motivation is at you know oh this is just yankee um you know mercantilist kind of coming down and you know imp- imp- like basically sort of a look i, I don't really know what i'm going with this but like well it's like it's, well, it's, it's like another so another example for that kind of thing it's like a look at saddam's iraq and almost all of the elite everyone who ran important positions one they were sunni but also they're mostly from decreed yeah Mm-hmm. So it was like, was that oligarchy? Or was it just another authoritarian regime where you get your buddies together? It was, or is it just a giant mafia? Because it was all his family and relations, and yeah. Well, that ra- I mean, that raises a another useful question, I think, which is, what's the relationship between oligarchy as control of an institution by some small group and authoritarianism? The the harshness or meanness, basically, of that control the degree to which it's used to harm others um, you could have a particularly uh, vicious or 
perhaps a a more benign set of elites controlling something. So what's the relationship? Do these have a correlation in some way? Does oligarchy tend towards that viciousness? Or is it coincidental when they when they happen at the same what time? What would be some examples of benign? <laughs> authoritarian rulers. No, 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 no. The, the idea is authoritarian oh. is is itself a vicious oh, yeah. thing. The question well, is, depending on the leader. Is, it, is an oligarchy necessarily authoritarian? Or could you have... I mean, you you could, for example, look at a at a country like like Singapore, where you you have a fairly strong control of politics by by elites, but generally that's not perceived as particularly oppressive by much of the population. They have freedom to do their own thing, to make money, to until they're caned in public lives. for breaking a law. Yeah. In, in, but well, in, even but he, that that I'm minor. I guess but that raises the question yeah, of yeah. to what degree either yeah. of these are spectra as well. And even here, I mean, you have, I mean, the donor class of both Republicans and Democrats kind of has an outsized say in policymaking. I mean, we have the right to assemble, the right to speak, the right to vote, a lot of things. But there's always been this kind of. You know, people with more influence have more influence, you know, and it's has and there's been a, I guess, more people paying attention to that these days. But is that something that's, you know, it's gotten more stratified or is it, you know, I mean, it's got, I mean, people like to throw through I think that's why this kind of conversation came up. Um, Picker, who's been on a bunch of times, she was basically talking about the day. She's like, oh, you know, I saw this article where they called uh Oh god, which one of the Koch brothers just died like a week or two ago? Yeah. Uh, they're like, oh yeah, he was you know, he was oligarch. I'm like, I don't know if that's true. Like, he did some like some shady stuff, and, like, and you know, it was, it, it's like depending on your politics. That's yeah. the thing. I think with him though, he wasn't kind of wired into this. Like he did his wealth didn't depend on his um, support of the state apparatus. It, well, like, he, but it, also uh, the the Kochs have despite their boogeyman status in yeah. certain quarters, actually not had a whole lot of success pushing the things that they've tried to push among the U.S. government. Because they're they, a bunch of libertarians. Right. That's I what mean, they like, actually are. No. They, yeah. they didn't have a whole... Didn't and still don't have uh, a whole lot of legacy of successful shaping of U.S. policy compared to many other wealthy, influential individuals who have had a much easier time getting the their agendas through. And that goes for a lot of the tech titans, too. I mean, they have, you know, they influence things where they can, as anyone with any measure of power would. But, you know, it's, it, you know, donating money or, you know, running a lobbying shop or something, and, you know, it may be against the spirit of pure democratic tradition or whatever it is but there's doesn't seem to be i mean at least if we're thinking in the russian context there's not an intertwining of um you know state and private enterprises there is absolutely an intertwining of that there is absolute like you know k street whatever you want to call it but it's it's almost i don't 
Let's, let's There's re- more layers in it. Let's, than... re- let's rewind a little bit. We, um... Maybe it's just more hidden. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, I mean, yeah, in the U.S. it's kind of weird because like, we have a lot of laws like allowing that kind of mm-hmm. donation, that sort of thing. Like, you know, like the George Soros, like the feared, like all the right is like, oh my God, George Soros is the worst person ever, da, da, da. And, you know, and the left just says Koch brothers and a couple yeah. others. But it's like... Whole pantheon of boogeymen. Oh, yeah. Like, they're going to get you in the night. Um, yeah. But I remember we did an episode in Ukraine uh, earlier this year. Um, and he... Was I mean the the current president was backed by like I think like, like a, one or two oligarchs, and it was kind of like who backs who. Yeah, but and he, he was running against an actual oligarch. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, yeah. it's true. But also like you know he was like I'm his whole stand, like platform was like I'm anti oligarch, but it's like I need to play the game and work with oh, this yeah. guy to do it. So it's like and people, I mean, it's you know is Trump is a a businessman a um I mean not a know, good one a, well whatever you want to say he's has outsized influence in the american political system and he got himself elected president partially with by using by using and exploiting that influence very well if he wasn't so, already a, a wealthy individual right. with a, a media presence then he never would have right. come up through the ranks as it were and and gotten yeah, the nomination, let he, alone won the job. Does he see? I think he sees himself as kind of an oligarch, like using the political system and the business financial environment. Are there's you know, sort of a an unsaid kind of you know these things are not as clear cut as you know we'd like them to think. Like like in Russia, it's the business and politics go hand in hand. Yeah, and. People like Trump and, and state security, Fran- and, the and not just him. It, it's been going on long before him. You know, business and politics are often one and the same. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a lot. I mean, lobbyists and like it, it, and it's like, and that's kind of where the conversation began. Good, I, well, I got the good. But that that idea of of business and politics, I think, is is more specific to a social situation in which you have. A large private sector where business is a way to accrue right. wealth, influence, and power. But I don't think the idea of an oligarchy is limited to those contexts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you have had oligarchies, uh, self-protecting, self-benefiting elites running the show in communist countries, in feudal oh, yeah. societies, in all kinds of other contexts uh, well before this. So I... Yeah. I even if we talk about it being tied in some way to financial resources, we shouldn't necessarily limit that to ones that come from what we think of as a private sector business environment. Right. Okay. I, well, my, my one example is like you look back, like you know, remember the, the you know the French aristocrats, and then the Republic came, and then there was no more aristocrats. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, but there were except, people. There were people uh, really? like Napoleon who came up, and <laughs> like, yeah. There's always was it, was it all are humans are, basically. I think the question we're kind of dancing around is: Are humans naturally um, hierarchical, or is it is this a construct that modernity has imposed upon? It? Like, so yeah. there's a uh, there's a a social scientist from the the early 20th century, uh, Robert Michels who basically came up with this concept that that still has some play in some circles called the iron law of oligarchy. Hmm. And his idea was that any organization of significant size, 
structurally tends towards oligarchy because any maintaining any organization that's large enough to where not everyone involved knows each other face to face requires specialized division of labor Mm -hmm. and that creates a system in which even at the most rudimentary level and the most benign level you will have people who are in positions where authority is delegated to them as part of that specialization of labor start to seek to maintain and advance their own interests as at an individual and group level in ways that start to shape the organization itself. And he he argued that that holds whether you're talking about uh, anything from a business to a political party to a union to an entire country, Mm -hmm. and that there's basically no escape from it. Yeah, this idea that, you know, people, we delegate, you know, as as a... we don't want to be a pure democracy, so we delegate to people whose their job is to examine legislation. Well, his point so, isn't that we don't want to be a pure we, democracy; we it's that we can't. Right. Once you have a large enough threshold of people, what you did he you talk about? What that threshold is? Is there like a? I'm not sure if he put an exact yeah, number to it, but but, but basically the right. idea is once you get to a large enough scale where not more. all decisions can be made face to face by the whole group. Yeah, people, then you inevitably end up with that specialization division of labor people will delegation take on, of power. People will take on more of the power and more of the, inf- the decision-making than other people will. It's just natural. And if you paid attention to the uh, Papa John's leaks last year, very important. Basically, there's a whole list of uh, <laughs> Papa John's okay. pizza. Like, a whole, there was a me. whole trove of leaks about how Papa John's, the corporation, operates. And it's basically... Was he colluding? It's, I mean, it's this massive distribution network and everything but it's the, the, the gist of it is it's very For pizza. much okay located within the you know papa john himself i don't even know what his real name is whatever john his family and a kind of a, a, a very limited network of advisors that kind of run unofficially run divisions of the company even though they're technically all yeah. the shareholders have a say so it's kind of yeah you know that kind of octopus sort of motif that... here i was putting my hopes for uh, direct democracy in a pizza delivery company darn the luck uh, and hence papa john's is trash but i mean it's any edible. large organization you're right I, any large organization let it be noted that if there's a lawsuit involved it goes directed to lex not yeah. to the uh, podcast or uh, the rest I'm, of I'm pretty sure papa john's yeah, done I enough damage himself <laughs> yeah this is um as far <laughs> as far as um pr <laughs> PR is concerned. I think we're the least of their concerns, <laughs> their issues right now. Um, yeah, I mean, sponsor so, us, and we'll t- tell us. We'll tell you. We'll tell whatever needs to be told. So this pizza is so good. <laughs> so, did you eat some of the sentiment? Oh, I'm just wondering, like, how much is actually floating in here proportionately? Uh, it's a lot. Yeah. See, this is a great metaphor for oligarchs. The the beer that we're looking at right now, the proportion of liquid to solid mass of actual power and influence. A lot of solid ahead is gone though. Yeah, you know. But real, I didn't chew on it, so it means that I don't know. The real yeah. gravity of control. You've just been swallowing all that delicious yeast straight. Yeah. Yeah. As Americans should. Yeah. You know, probiotics and, and such. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our resident nutritionist. <laughs> yeah. I don't need vaccinations. I just need yeast. Yeah. Yeah. Fact. Google it. Just ask Dr. Oz. <laughs> and and that's <laughs> how Ryan started a uh, fringy health blog. God, I mean, I need money, so that'd be great. <laughs> crystal, <laughs> crystal healing. Big money maker. <laughs> yeah, no, no, all, you, all you need for health is drink more. 
Yeah. Got to got to banish that that dark psychic force. You know what I mean? <laughs> Christ. Is she still in the race, Marianne? Is there? It would raise I me mean, the fucking travesty that's happening on the stage every other week. Yeah, I mean not every other week, but like yeah. I, I just mean, I mean the hurricane happening in fucking Florida right now, or this shit. Well, the hurricane is happening because we're not harnessing the internal power of babies to deflect the weather from um, the negative the negative energy from our shores. I mean, if you read a book once in a while, you'd know that. So back to companies, you know, we're talking about Papa John's. What about an, another company? It's not like Papa John's, but it's like you know the East India Trading Company. <laughs> Was that oligarch? Because they had heavy influence in with the British Crown. We're also kind of like had their own army, doing some shit. Well, yeah. I mean, at what layer? I mean, are you talking about internal governance? Are you talking about their role in controlling territory in India? Are you talking about their role in the broader politics of the British Empire? Because yes. you could I would say kind internal. of have different answers at each of those levels. <laughs> I would, yeah, and I would say keep it. Let's keep it within the walls of Parliament. Like how, you know, well, we know Donald Trump and presidents before him have, have met with Wall Street CEOs for going back generations yeah. as a sort of a, you know, come together business economics powwow. I mean, you have to. Yeah. It's like, I, yes. I, 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 as much as the next guy, I don't like economic collapse. Yeah. So the world's, I mean, at the time, they were the most influential corporation. I mean, groundbreaking in a lot of ways. More so, yeah. I'm sure their board of directors had a direct line to the prime minister, whoever it was, whatever party it was, whatever. But the question would be, how overwhelming was it? I mean, <clears throat> ultimately, they shape policy. But, Probably but not. well, but but yeah. well, shape policy as one faction among others that yeah. had an influence on policy is different from basically had a at least a group overwhelming control over policy and that i think is a key crux here because mm-hmm. lots of interest groups might be able to push their agenda on certain issues in a narrow way yeah i think the way that we would use the term oligarchy involves unfair a, ways well not necessarily just unfair but yeah. the degree to which it is the dominant force in yeah in how power works in an institution. Like if they have yeah. kind of a veto over other interest groups. Like when it comes to gun laws, it's the NRA. When it comes to you know, certain groups have more influence than yeah. others, but is that inherently bad? Because everyone, you know, cuz you ask. I mean, is it like a difference between getting a 10-minute meeting and an hour meeting with a sitting congressman? And I've having this like you so, could have a 10-minute meeting but like they're going to do everything you say. It's like so you look at you look at I mean I mean it, it's yeah. like in like in a very like wise but not like in a particular moment it, or, it, or it example. Just, yeah, it kind of just seems like a, a, a certain level of splitting hair is like yeah. What's what's unfair, what's not? What what arbitrary line in the sand are we drawing? That well, and that's, makes that's oligarchy versus just normal people pushing the, interest well and that's why i i think playing the game yeah i'm the game you know? that's why i think fairness is, isn't necessarily the right metric to use it's mm-hmm. it's a distinction between whether a, a group of people is one influential player among many versus are they so overwhelmingly dominant that they have basically de facto veto power over any other group in the system whenever they want it. Yeah, so but- the idea would be if if you had a group that could 
whenever they want, make sure that the government in the U.S. defied the wishes of everyone from the AARP to the NRA to unions to other industries if you had a group that had that overwhelming concentration of power. Yeah, but who defines fair? Because a lot of people like to talk about well, fair. And but like my Bernie, point is you know, nothing Bernie to do Sanders with fairness. Goes, yeah, Bernie Sanders, but like, or what's the level? Because like Bernie Sanders talks about how CEOs need to pay their fair share. AOC does a 70% tax, which is actually, or top 1% pays a 70% tax, which is actually less than historically um, going back beyond the Reagan and the Carter eras, you know, the top 1% of 1% paid. But like, who, is there a, you know, a nat- what, what's the solution here? It doesn't seem like anyone or any one person or any one group can come and make this sort of well, impartial decision. This is the right percentage for this and that. And well, it, cause right. it, well, so, but I, th- I think part of the, the trick here is that you don't have easy quantitative distinctions yeah. and lines involved. There's I no mean, algorithm so, for this. So to put on my Yet. to put on my nerdy philosopher hat here. Do you um, ever take it off? Yeah, I was, I, I was like, <laughs> you beat me to it. I sometimes just put other hats on top of uh, it to obscure it it's somewhat. It's the Russian doll of hats. Yes. You don't, you don't hide it from anyone. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> anyway. Obscuring is different from hiding. It's... Yeah. He's not wrong. Anyway, that's, that's splitting, another, that's another topic for another time. But... How Rob's a nerd. But so one of the... I mean, one of the original... Uh, discussions of oligarchy in in politics and society came from Aristotle. And Aristotle talked about different kinds of political systems. And he had an interesting way of basically looking at sort of a better versus a more corrupted or perverted form of different layers of, of power. So with rule by a single individual, you could have monarchy as a relatively healthy form of that versus tyranny as a relatively unhealthy form of that. And he had lots of reasons he'd unpack uh, of what would tip it one way or the other. But then when it comes to rule by a smaller group of people, rule by the few, Mm -hmm. you could have oligarchy as a sort of virtuous, more corrupt version of that versus aristocracy, which in his original sense wasn't to do with how old is this class and where did they come from? The idea of aristocracy, it was for Aristotle ruled by the best, ruled by people who were the most virtuous, the most intelligent, the most a meritocracy. capable. Yeah, yeah it, it was much closer to the idea of a meritocracy. But also people who maybe were in that environment for a while, trained up and kind of equipped to behave in a virtuous manner. Sure. and yeah. But so, but so for, for Aristotle... These questions of whether you had one person controlling everything, a small group controlling everything, or power highly diffuse with either democracy or anarchy, and that, uh, yeah. that that was whatever layer power was centered at, however concentrated or distributed it was, you could have better or worse versions of that. Mm-hmm. And But he also believed that any version of that was prone to different kinds of instability and disintegration. And so he became a big advocate for an idea of a mixed constitution where power was distributed to -hmm. some extent between different groups. And a big part of that was the idea of 
a stable, successful middle class of people who owned property but weren't overwhelmingly wealthy. Mm -hmm. They had a stake in the system but didn't have the ability to concentrate power too much as not the entire group but a major presence. Which is, where so you, the, yeah, which is where you get kind of that Jeffersonian agrarian type of... I mean, he, well, he who he was was something different, but he kind of pr promoted this sort of small farmer, um, property owner type rule, right? Yeah, but but anyway, the the point really is that we can talk about how much power is concentrated mm -hmm. in a given society or institution, but telling us how concentrated power is opens up more questions than it answers mm -hmm. because there's still so much to unpack about how positively or toxically that's used about how stable it is about what the relationships between different groups with different degrees of power are so i think there's a, a tendency to really do black and white pictures when we talk about particularly someone else's society as a bad guy and ours is fine but there's more yeah, or america there's more to dig into on this topic mm -hmm. and it's messy and it doesn't invite simple either or lines and definitions the way that people typically want things to. yeah but that's how people vote is simple either or decisions oh yeah and and, and how people group themselves simple either or you know methods of social consolidation whatever you want to call it so yeah. So where where do we go from there? Is yeah. that kind of thing. Well, sound analysis has never been the driver of politics. No. <laughs> Only if. Only if it'd be such a wonderful world. I don't or, think it ever or, has been. Or, or it'd be the worst That's world ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Either either it would be a guess. Everything's like everyone's doing this kind of stats and really paying attention to that kind of thing in a really good sensible way, or it'd be like complete tyranny, <laughs> like the empire. What if I can if I can just throw one other. I mean, you, you, political philosophy. Like I could stop you if I wanted to. Like, it's just. Yeah, that's true. It's just, let's, let's be it's honest. It's a train. No, it's just, never stop. Can't stop. No, won't stop. No. I, I mean, if you I'm look at. Robbed. If you look at, uh, at early American founding political conversations, looking at, at Madison, for example, the whole idea was you're inevitably going to have people with concentrated interests and power. Right. The idea is that you try to, as best you can, to have factions balance against one another. Mm -hmm. uh, you just avoid a situation in which any one faction, elite or popular or otherwise, is able to overwhelmingly dominate the others. So you take that natural tendency to self-segment and to pursue one's individual or group interests in human beings, and you accept that for what it is. You try and structure institutions as best you can in a way to where they check each other. Right. Since there's no way that you could create a perfect law or a perfect uh, wise ruler to do it for you. Yeah, it's one thing. Yeah, but it's one thing to structure these formal institutions that way that they balance off against each other. But as the institutions themselves evolved and as people, you know, change and these informal methods of power and influence also begin to emerge and it's it's difficult it, there's no effective way to continue to maintain that sort of balance of power um once 
influence. I mean, well, that's with, the interesting without, question, without isn't this it? kind of idea of a virtuous, you know, ruling class tyranny. Yeah. So Lex's point is that we're all doomed. So anyway, we're kind of coming towards the end of the episode. So I'm going to pose one last question and then uh, we'll be up tonight. So is an oligarchy system inevitable? Is it always going to happen? Is it always going to be there? You know, to what extent? Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> and prayers? <laughs> sure. Rob. Uh, that's that's with... not usually a focus of this podcast. Uh, so I think there are things that feed oligarchy that are inevitable. I mean, human self-interest is inevitable. Uh, the The tendency of hierarchy to form in groups is inevitable. But I don't think oligarchy itself necessarily is. Uh, I don't think you will ever have a perfect, stable social and political system that will last forever, uh, for good or for ill, that would avoid it. But I, I don't think that history follows straightforward cycles. Uh, I think it's messier than that. And I think it's an ongoing challenge that any society has to look out for and manage, and the ways of checking its growth will probably change over time as society changes over time. I think elements, as you said, elements of oligarchy are inevitable, and I think the elements being there make oligarchy inevitable. I mean, it can be mitigated, it can be turned into a virtue, um, but, you know, people are always going to coalesce into different you know, power groups and power structures and, you know, one power structure is going to overwhelm the other. So it's the, tr the challenge so much isn't over, isn't um, overwhelming oligarchy or finding a different system. It's mitigating the circumstances that create what Rob was talking about earlier, create the, uh, a toxic system and maintaining a sort of system that uh, feeds into the more positive aspects of the human psyche and how this kind of, you know, people are going to take on more power, more influence than others. That's just the natural way of things. How can we um, harness that energy and put it into a way that um, really pushes forward better ideals, better, poli better policy, you know, better society? Oh, it's so adorable. Yeah. Each and run. <laughs> I'm going to bump the audio for that one. But, uh, I, I, you know, I think it is inevitable. It's going to happen. I, and I think it'll be a sliding scale of how bad it is in different countries at different times. I think it's something that with good government structure will prevent it being really inhibiting problem. In but I, I mean, I guess I want to ask both of you, given your answers, what do you mean by by inevitable? Do you mean that there will always be elite groups that try to gain control or do you mean that it's inevitable that every society will eventually slip into a point where one of those groups has a monopoly on the political system both at some point or another and then that group will be you know displaced by another group i'm not talking just the u.s in, in particular but it's like it, it just overall and global thing how things go it's like there will always be people who make money and will have influence on things and whether that's for a positive outcome for the country or it's not yeah like now there's a lot of money in tech they're outsized influence right now 
Um, for a while, it was railroads. Yeah, and, Mark Zuckerberg and, is not an actual person. And, well, Cyborg Zuckerberg would <laughs> would disagree with that, but I mean, he uh, would try he, to. He, he's a real boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's 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 one of those things where. I th- I think in the U.S. we've done a pretty good job of avoiding it. I mean, I, I mean, as much as you can. I mean, there's still. I mean, obviously, you could argue for how our political system is right now. You know, yeah. I guess just that. because it's one one power is up top than another than another, the oligarchy is still there. It just becomes different. Yeah, um, it, it, it it becomes. I mean, the donor stuff, the lobby stuff. There's I think more regulation on that would be better. But you know, that's my opinion and, and like and also i'm not yeah, I'm the not, more regulation you have the more oh it's the government yeah Their no no yeah 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 no no so. it's it's a it's a see i guess the, the key difference here is i wouldn't consider just the existence of any or all elite groups with a larger amount of power yeah. than most people to be an oligarchy we're just talking about the definition at this point so which we did not really even come up like what the definition <laughs> is honestly we didn't come because it's, it's part of the challenge yeah, yeah. no it's 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 hard because it, it, it depends on which country i think and like we said, that's why we started with Russia. That is mostly people going to think about that. But you know, it's it's uh. Anyway, we've uh, gone too long. Um, maybe we'll, I think we'll, maybe we'll touch this again. Um, this is really interesting. It was a good discussion. Part two. Yeah, maybe. Coming soon, near you. I don't know soon, but you know, whatever. I mean, this was almost dramatic. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Yeah. Thoughts, concerns. Okay. Um, do you have like a strainer?